Hello and welcome to HFMA Talk, the podcast for NHS finance. I'm Mark Orchard, Chief Financial Officer at Portsmouth Hospital's University NHS Trust. This episode continues our series of conversations where I get to talk to some of my current and former NHS colleagues, working across all sectors and geographies, right across the UK and beyond. And today, we have a very special episode where we get to meet our incoming HFMA National President, Owen Harkin. Now, Owen, as many of us will already know, has already served as Vice President for the Association for over the last three years and has been National Trustee on the UK HFMA Board for over six years. Owen's day job is the Director of Finance and Estates, as well as the Deputy Chief Executive Officer for the Northern Health and Social Care Trust in Northern Ireland. Owen, thank you for joining us and a huge, huge warm welcome from HMA Talk. How are you doing today, Owen? Very well, thank you. It's a Monday, start of a long week and I'm starting to get more and more ready and prepared for the, the upcoming uh, role as president of HFMA. So it's starting to take over my life. I remember you saying that it really does start to take over your life and it's starting to happen already, but it's I'm really looking forward to it at this stage. Oh, fantastic, Owen. Let's start with your backstory, Owen. So you took up your current role as Director of Finance and Estates within the Northern Health and Social Care Trust uh, over six years ago now, uh, 2015. Um, and you've also assumed the role of Deputy Chief Executive since uh, back end of last year, before COVID, uh, beginning of 2020. You were a graduate of the University of Ulster, uh, began your career in the Finance Department of the Western Health and Social Care Services Board in Derry in 1988, uh, progressing through a series of finance roles within the health service across Northern Ireland, and then had a six-year spell as CFO in the education sector from 2004 uh, before returning to health and social care in 2010. Now, one of the things that um, I know to be true about you, Owen, from our time working on the HMA Board of Trustees together, is that you've always had a long-standing interest in finance uh, team development. So can we start maybe with you telling us a bit more about how you got into NHS finance in the first place? And in particular, um, can you draw out perhaps, you know, any support you, you got in your early days? I suppose I got into NHS finance really because of the first significant opportunity that I saw post-graduating from University of Ulster in 1988 that got me into the field I wanted to be in, which was management accounting. Um, I, if I'm being honest, I didn't have particular interest in debits and credits, etc. but I was much more <laughs> interested in uh, management accounting, how you could advise and forecast and make a difference on a day-to-day basis. So I saw a job for uh, what they used to call a general administrative assistant, close to a band four these days, uh, in, in the finance department in Derry, which was uh, my home city in 1988 uh, in management accounts and I applied and was locally successful. Um, as regards where I went from there, I was very fortunate in that the group treasurer, as they called it then, uh, was very supportive of anyone who was interested in securing qualification and developing themselves from there. Uh, and also at that time, in the late 80s, there was a much more increased focus on having qualified accountants and growing your own qualified accountants back, back in the day. I think we're going full circle on that at the moment as well within within the service, especially in Northern Ireland here. So uh, I was very fortunate that the the board and the the assistant treasurer supported me to do day release, uh, again, back at the University of Ulster, to do my qualification for SEMA. Right. Uh, So I did day release over two years uh, with SEMA and secured that in early 1991. Uh, So that is something I owe to the health service, absolutely. Uh, and that's an area I've been in since. Uh, from there, uh, I've 
took sort of I would say took some control of my career from about nineteen ninety one on to try and develop that a bit more and expand my horizons a little bit. And that's why I finished up in ninety one moving from Derry to Belfast uh, and working there for the two years before coming back to Derry in ninety five. If I'm being honest, the main reason to come back to Derry in ninety five was a sideways move at that stage as a as an assistant treasurer. But I was just about to get married. I met my wife through the health service before I moved to De- uh, to Belfast, and I moved back just as we were getting married. Uh, so started our family in Derry, and we're still living in Derry, although I've continued to move around Northern Ireland in my various roles. Excellent. Thank you for that. Listen, um, for those of us that are less familiar with the health and social care setup in Northern Ireland, it might be worth you just um, spending a little bit of time telling us about how the services are currently managed in Northern Ireland, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. In Northern Ireland, we have one regional commissioner. We don't have CCGs, etc. We have one regional commissioner uh, currently, I should say. Um, that health, That's called the Health and Social Care Board. Uh, they're supported by the Public Health Agency. Uh, and within the Health and Social Care Board, they have five commissioning groups, local commissioning groups, uh, on a geographic basis across the, the five patches in Northern Ireland. Um, and they commission services uh, from the trusts. And in, in trust-wise, we have five geographic trusts across Northern Ireland. Hence, I'm in the Northern Health and Social Care Trust. Um, there's four others. And on top of that, we have one other uh, trust, which is the Northern Ireland Ambulance Service. Obviously, it's a regional service. Uh, there's various other uh, non-departmental bodies that support that. Uh, there's one other organization, significant organization from our point of view, which is the Business Services Organization, who provide a lot of the support services to the trust, be that payroll, HR, recruitment, legal services, uh, procurement, uh, etc. So uh, they're a fairly large organisation to provide that support service to ourselves. Am I right to say, so your, your trust, Northern Health and Social Care Trust, as you say, is one of five geographical trusts covering Northern Ireland. So just give a feel of scale for our listeners here. So uh, I believe your, your trust is responsible for health and social care services to the population of about 470,000 people. That's correct, yeah. Um, employ about 12,000 staff. You have an annual turnover of just under a billion pounds. So it's a, these are big, big scale operations. Um. It is indeed, and it's the full range of health and social care. Uh, obviously, we run uh, two acute hospitals in uh, Antrim Hospital and, and Causeway Hospital across our patch. Uh, if, if people know the geography of Northern Ireland, we're responsible for the entire northeastern quadrant. Uh, of of the, the Northern Ireland map from Loch Ney, the that big hole in the middle, which is Loch Ney, up as far as the, the north coast and, and the Causeway Coast and Glens. So we actually, and we also border in the south, right and very close to urban Belfast. So we have a wide range. We have the large, largest population in Northern Ireland. We also have the oldest population uh, on average in Northern Ireland because a lot of a lot of our population tend to retire to the north coast, etc. So that tends to be another challenge for us, and it's a very rural area. So we go from urban to rural, uh, and from young to old. Uh, we have, as I say, we do acute services, obviously, but we do the full range of services, including uh, mental health uh, services, small amount of learning disability service. Uh, uh, obviously, care in the community care is a big issue for us. Care for particularly our elderly population. And also, I suppose, the biggest departure for us, we have health and social care. So a big aspect of our services is children's services um, and uh, where we have that legal responsibility as a corporate parent for uh, looked after children across our, across our patch. Uh, and we also support them the likes of domiciliary care and care homes uh, and both nursing and residential care homes. 
So it's a quite a wide, wide, wide gambit of services uh, across, and we're organised across five service directorates, uh, which are who are then supported obviously by corporate directorates such as finance, HR, business planning, etc. So the full scale, in terms of integration, it's the full scale of health services, with the exception of ambulance services, I suppose. With the exception of ambulance services, and I suppose the big area that's not part of ours are us is primary care. Our G, particularly okay. our GP colleagues, we work very closely with them, uh, and the and probably as one one colleagues in England talk about integration, uh, I suppose they talk a lot about the integration between health and social care. Our biggest challenge mm. is probably just to further develop our relationships with our primary care colleagues, uh, and then the Northern right. Trust. Uh, we started that about three years ago. Our former chief executive uh, developed a prototype initiative to drive forward a partnership with our GPs. That is very much a work in progress. It's something that's starting to work for us, uh, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. Uh, we find ourselves building that trust with our GPs. So you find yourself looking for the, the small wins to deliver that, that the show that we're working, listening to them and working with them, meeting their needs uh, and developing that relationship. A lot of the challenges about building that trust and showing we can work together for the good of our local population. So we're driving that forward at the moment. When I said there, right at the start uh, about the Health and Social Care Board as the, currently the commissioner, we are going through a change at the moment uh, whereby the, the Health and Social Care Board is due to close at the 31st of March 2022. And one of the processes we're going through, and say not that the summer to England, is that reorganisation, what does that mean for us? A lot of the staff and the functions of the Health and Social Care Board will move into the Department of Health as a regional group. But the regional group are now looking at establishing area integrated partnership boards where where there will be that uh, cooperation uh, and integrated from an integrated system care system point of view uh, between the trusts primary care community and voluntary sector uh, and, uh, and and local authorities also they're still working through that trying to work out what the accountability arrangements will be what the performance arrangements will be and also very importantly what the funding arrangements will be uh, whether it'll be done on some capitation basis or whether we'll uh, deliver services on a, ad hoc, on a just a block contract incremental basis as we go forward. So it's very much a, a work in progress, but it's something I think we can learn from each other across the four countries of the, of the UK at the moment, given the various positions we're currently in. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you're keen to learn across the, the four nations as well. Perhaps this is something we'll come back to later on in the podcast, Owen. Um, okay, I said at the start, we wanted to find out a bit more about you, Owen. And you've already mentioned um, that you met your wife um, when you both worked in uh, health and social care in, in Derry during those early years of your career. So uh, congratulations on that. Um, and I understand you've got two, two young, well, two, not young anymore, children as well. I have two children. I have a son, Liam, who's 24. Uh, he's a finance graduate, uh, but as everybody will hear, when everybody hears that, they think he's, he's not an accountant. <laughs> he's not. He's working in one of the finance houses in Dublin at the moment. Um, right. So he's very much in yeah. these stocks and shares and such like stuff I don't fully understand at all, if I'm honest. Um, so, but he, he's loving it. Um, and he's work, he work, well, he's working for a Dublin firm at the moment because of COVID and the pandemic and lockdown, etc. He's actually working, working from home. So him and his girlfriend are living very close to home at the moment back in Derry. The rent's a lot cheaper there uh, than in Dublin. Uh, so he's, he's loving that at the moment, but he's due to go back probably sometime during 2022. He just doesn't know when yet. My daughter, uh, Grace, is 18, just turned 18, and she's doing her A-levels this year. Uh, so she's been through that period of COVID where the, she has never done a formal exam. Uh, 
Uh, and I think that's going to be a challenge for that entire age group. In fact, I think that's that's the age group I feel yeah. most sorry for as regards to the whole lockdown process. They missed out on a lot, uh, the rite of passage of teenage years, etc. Uh, so I think the danger is there might be a lot of catching up to do, but we'll, we'll see how that goes in the next few months and years. Yeah, I feel a bit of that. My eldest is um, in his GCSE year this year, and of course they've missed out on so much learning. Yeah. Um, and there's a little bit of catching up to do this year before they get into the exams next year. So he, he's being assessed to death at the moment, bless him. Um, so I get, I, 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 I understand all that. I understand you still live in Derry, and that must give you a, a commute back and forth work of about 120 miles round trip. Every That's day. correct, spot on. Uh-huh. You've done a lot of research, Mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly 120 miles round trip, door to door. But actually, I find that good. I think I remember Sandra mentioning something similar about it during her podcast with you, Mark. I find that gives you the opportunity to switch off a little bit on the evening, in the, of an evening on your way home from work. Uh, so I don't tend to leave work until quite late because I know once I get home, I've, I've switched off. <laughs> so I, don't, I, I tend to monitor emails just at that stage. So uh, my working day, I tend to arrive at work sometime around about, leave, leave home most mornings about between seven and quarter past and home most evenings around quarter past half seven and uh, so that that's a during the week that's obviously qu- quite a commitment um but that's that's what goes with the territory um i have to say if I, f- I find the commute useful from that point of view it allows you to have that separation between work and, and life uh, and allows you to just be a bit more relaxed once you do get home let's get into your h for me yeah if we can you know bigger bigger ahead um, you know, we said at the start you've been trustee now on the HMA board since 2016, as so you've been on the board for five years. Um, you've been vice president for, for three years. You got involved, I think, in the HMA in the mid 90s. You've chaired the Northern Ireland branch. You've had spells as branch treasurer. Um, you've also served on the National Policy and Research Committee. So you, you know, HMA credentials clearly, you know, flow through your your blood, Owen. So that's that's fantastic to, to hear that. Um, the time we're recording this. You said it earlier on. You know we're we're back end of November now, so we're just a few weeks off. You taking on your role as the UK national president for HMA. So um, so there must there's so much to talk about um, about your vision and so on. But how does it feel? You know before we get into the details, how does it feel to be embarking on uh, your presidential year? You're going to be the seventy first leader of our wonderful association. You're only the fifth leader to come from the devolved nations and only the second to come from Northern Ireland, of course, following yeah. in the footsteps of Paul Cummins back in 2002-03. So, yeah, it's, before we get into the detail, how does it feel? I'm actually, I have great pride in it. I, I do, it feels like it's an absolute honour. I, I was thinking about this recently. Um, I, my late mother came, came to mind, actually. Um, my mum, uh, I used to, when I was working, in, I, when my mum was alive, I used to visit her every Saturday every Saturday afternoon. And uh, one Saturday, not long after I got the job, actually in the Education Authority, it was my first permanent director of finance role back in, oh, 2004. Uh, I arrived down one Saturday, down with my mum one Saturday afternoon and she said, and she, I, don't, I'm not, I don't say much about what my job is or what my title is. She just, you know, worked in finance and worked in the health service and <laughs> moved to education. She didn't know or care what I did. And uh, I arrived in one day and she says, tell me this, what do you actually do in OMA? Which is where I was working at that stage. I says, what do you mean? She says, well, what do you do? I know you work in finance. Well, what's, what's your job title? I says, I said, well, my job title is director of finance. And she went, hmm. I met a, a, a friend of hers in the supermarket the week before and her, this friend's husband, used to work in the Education Authority. 
And she said, oh, I hear Owen has got a massive job in Panoma. <laughs> so I says, yeah, well, oh, some people might call it a massive job. Okay, uh, I'm director of finance. And she went, hmm, I'm very proud of you, son. But oh. Don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel the same. I have great pride on it. But I, I, but I sincerely intend to do the very best I can from it because I do recognize what an honor it is. I do recognize also I'm following on foot, foot of some massive individuals and uh, uh, in their support to the uh, HFMA over the years, and not least Paul Cummings. Uh, I worked directly with Paul when I did come back to health. It's one of the reasons I did come back to, to health in, two, yeah. in, two, in 2010. Uh, so um, Paul was a, a great leader, in my opinion, of HFMA back back in the day in 2002-2003 when we were a much smaller organisation and we're growing uh, at pace, and he played a big part in that. I know you've you've um you've said you said previously you know you clearly know the Northern Irish uh, health and care system best, but I've also heard you say that you fully intend on being the president and therefore the leader of the whole association. So, can you just say a bit more about that and you know how you're going to ensure that you're kind of best place to re- represent the whole four nations' interests as being HMA president? Well, uh, as I say, I'm very very aware that uh, I'm coming from a Northern Ireland background. I don't know the detail and probably don't know all, some, some of the politics of the, the, the various aspects of health across the other three nations. I'm very comforted, however, by the fact that I have a magnificent board of trustees around me who yeah. will certainly keep me right and advise me. And also Mark Knight will, will I'm sure, also keep, keep me, keep me uh, well-guided on that. And of course, HFMA, we know, have a magnificent research branch under Emma Knowles as well. Uh, so uh, I know Emma's been a superb help to me from a Northern Ireland point of view, as well as from a national point of view since I, I joined the Board of Trustees. So that gives me great comfort. Uh, I also am very aware, obviously, that HFMA, the finance, the challenges faced by by the, the, the members of HFMA are very similar across all four nations, no matter what our structures may be, and no matter what reorganisations we may be going through, the day-to-day structure challenges we have are very, very similar. As became very clear, I suppose, during the pandemic. And uh, I remember 18, 19 months ago, we were all in the midst of debates around procurement and around PPE, etc. And our WhatsApp group from a HFMA point of view <laughs> was bouncing with people seeking advice and getting that advice and support. Uh, and I, so I know I can rely on that again going forward. Uh, from that point of view as well, uh, we've recently set up uh, the HFMA Celtic Nations Group again, just to have a look at what, what we can do to learn together across the three Celtic nations, but also pull in uh, expertise and, and views from the English NHS as well. And we had our first meeting back in November there in Cardiff, um, where we had senior finance uh, representatives from both the branches and the senior leaders from the, the various departments of health, as well as uh, some of the, uh, the, the major organisations within the various Celtic nations. And I think that gives us some real opportunities to work forward on how we can help each other beat the challenges that we're faced with, be they digital, be they how we do performance management, uh, or how we or how we develop ourselves to make sure we're in the best possible place to take forward things like population health uh, or use the population health data to make the best possible decisions for our public going forward, as well as just looking at the various financial funding streams, etc., and doing comparisons and that and the various researches researched opportunities that Emma and the team will no doubt identify. So I think there's a real exciting opportunity for us there to develop that vision across the whole of the UK and share that. Do you know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm really enthused to hear you talk about this new HMA Celtic Nations group and, of course, um, you know, linking that in with, with England as well as the four nations. Let's get into then your presidential theme. What, what is it and what, what can we expect of the association perhaps over the coming months and year ahead? My presidential theme is entitled Reimagining the Future. And I see that under three categories. Uh, first one is to try and reimagine the, the, the future in the short term. What are the challenges we're all facing uh, in the immediate uh, time scale, getting over the crisis we currently have, getting ourselves and the system back on its feet? And secondly, looking at the longer term then, what does the NHS need to develop? What, how do we need to move forward? And what changes do we do? How can finance support that? And then thirdly, trying to reimagine the future for HFMA as an organisation. Uh, we've been through enormous change ourselves as an organisation in the last year. Uh, and I take this opportunity to say a, a massive thanks to Caroline Clark, who's been our president for the last two years. Uh, when the pandemic struck in, in March 2020, uh, that had massive repercussions for HFMA. Uh, as you well know, and as members are well aware, uh, and we had a significant financial loss in that in that year. Uh, we took the opportunity to ask Caroline to maintain her role as president for a second year to give us some continuity and, uh, and stability through that turbulent time. We also had the magnificent work senior team in HFMA who helped us stabilize and work, work through that over, the, over that period. And it's great to be able to report that this year uh, that we have now got ourselves into a healthy surplus for 2021 and are moving forward from that. But I have to say, Caroline uh, in particular was a, a real stabilizing force for that, as well as our normal energy, energetic self and bringing forward uh, that, that those initiatives and um, taking forward our theme of taking pride in the future, which really did resonate with members during that whole time as well. As well as, you know, of course, obviously, Caroline is also chief executive of one of the largest uh, health systems in the, the country. And at the same time, was being followed around by cameras for the BBC hospital program, which I personally also found has been a magnificent representation of the health service. Yeah. It certainly covered a lot of the challenges that I was dealing with at that time and losing sleepovers, oxygen, etc. I often joke I was, uh, I've been 30 years in finance and I never lost sleep over money, but I did lose sleep over oxygen, I have to, I have to be absolutely honest. Um, and so Caroline, as I say, I think has really helped in, their, in that role to describe the challenges facing the health service, but in her role as president of HFMA has really helped to stabilise the organisation and I'd like to thank her for that. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'd just like to echo that as well, actually. Um, you know, I think a historic two-year term as HFMA national president, you know, Caroline Clark has been absolutely a uh, brilliant leader for the association. Um, as you say, no pressure, Owen, but massive boots, <laughs> <laughs> massive boots to fill there. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, no, no, absolutely. And um, I'd echo everything you said about Caroline. Uh, but let's get back to your year. So, so reimagining the future. Tell us a bit more about... Um, Maybe, you know, what we can expect to see in terms of maybe your ask of members. Um, what, what, do we, what, what can we expect from you, Owen? Well, as I say, there's three aspects to my theme. The first one is reimagining our future in the short term. As we all know, as I said earlier, we have common challenges, be that wonder pressures, patient flow through our hospitals, be that uh, ambulance arrivals, flow through the hospitals and dis discharge through the back door into social care settings. We're all faced with same, the same challenges. We have slightly different approaches given the, the different structure in Northern Ireland from, from the rest of the, of the UK. But certainly though, that's a significant challenge for us. We also have waiting lists are growing. Northern Ireland is probably the, is the, probably the worst place as regards waiting lists across the whole of the UK, but we're all of those that difficulty. 
We have the new financial regime coming in in April 2022, uh, and also the, obviously the establishment of integrated care systems. So there's, um, as I mentioned earlier, is the restructuring of the commissioning role in Northern Ireland as well. So there's monumental changes happening in the next year, and I think HFMA may have a role to play in supporting our members through that process. Not just the technical advice, etc., but also as a support network for our colleagues. I'm very aware that in England at the moment there's there's a change happening uh, from our particularly from our commissioning care uh, care group colleagues, and I think there's a role for HFMA to support our members and ourselves through that process, and as friends and, and colleagues in that network to support our colleagues at all levels that they face with whatever challenges they face, be they financial structural or indeed personal as they go through that change. And I think HFMA is superb at that, as I mentioned earlier, WhatsApp groups, support groups, but mentoring, coaching, that help has to be there for HFMA. So that's one of my asks this year is that our members continue to play that key role in supporting each other through the challenges of the, particularly the next 12 months. And I understand we're, we're back to embark, and your leadership, Owen, we're back to embark on a new three-year plan for the association uh, to, to plot, you know, our bold, exciting future for HMA. So could you say a bit more about how you're going to get branches and members engaged in that process so that it's a fully inclusive sort of process of resetting our vision for the future? I can, sure. For HFMA, as I say, I think that we need to also reimagine the future of HFMA as an organisation. We've been through the, the turbulent times of 2020 and 2021, now stabilised and in a much better place, as I said earlier. Uh, but the first item we need now is, well, so where do we go from here? We need to develop a new three-year plan for HFMA, which will hopefully build a bold and exciting future for the organisation. And we need members' involvement and support to develop that because it has to be a strategy we can all sign up to. Uh, there are many parts to that strategy that are already being worked upon. For example, the Education Subcommittee that I have chaired in the, in the last year has done a review of qualifications, and I'm pleased to say that those changes will start to come into force with the January intake. And we're looking at repackaging the, the, the qualifications to take account of integrated care as well and bring those the primary care and the, the trust aspect of, of the, the, the qualifications together in a much more regular way. Another part of our strategy, obviously, has been to find a new home for HFMA. And it's great to, to see we've now secured a base at Broad Plain in Bristol. And I think that's a real statement uh, that HFMA is here to stay. And we're here to continue to be the leader for the, the, the healthcare finance. And I think the point for me now as regards to that is, so we are the representative body for NHS finance. Uh, how do we use that voice? Uh, and who should we be speaking to in doing so? Um, so... You're in conversation series is an example of that, uh, where we try to engage the leaders from across the UK. Um, and I think that's a, a, a brilliant example of what HFMA can do. But we also need to think about how we use that voice going forward. Do we try to be a bit more edgy, a bit grittier, but perhaps even disagree with government policy on occasion? While we do a lot of work for the NHS and we have a great relationship with the, with the NHS, we also have to reserve our right to speak that truth onto power. And that has to be an important part of our future strategy. And I know you set a big target in 2017 of managing to get around all 13 branches. I promise to do my absolute best. I can't guarantee I'll match it given the logistics from Northern Ireland, but I will try my best to get around them all. Oh, fantastic. And reimagining re the future. So, as you said, retaining what's worked well, store what we missed, 
renewing the light of learning in the last 18, 20 months or so, and then reimagining what we wish for the future, including what we wish for the future of our association and how we continue to influence um, through a new three-year plan. Owen, that sounds really exciting and um, I look forward to, uh, I say, supporting you and, um, and hearing more about that as we, as we un un unfold into the year. So before we, before we let you go, Owen, I wondered if I could um, unleash on you my usual quickfire fun round. Are you happy to enter the quickfire round? Yeah, give it a go. Let's hope it will shock too many people. <laughs> okay. First question for me, um, what were you doing right before this conversation? What was I doing right before this conversation? I was just on a call. My chief executive was off for a couple of days. So I was on a call with the regional uh, chief executives, all five, six chief executives uh, uh, that, uh, that meet. They, they meet. This started probably at COVID, where the chief executives just dropped on a call once a week just to touch base. Where are we? What, how, things are, how are things going? They've maintained that throughout, uh, and it's still ongoing at the moment. Uh, we're obviously now focusing a lot on winter and what are the challenges faces, facing us. Uh, I don't know what, how it feels in England, but Mondays are, are very extremely busy days for us. Uh, and there's a lot of and, uh, discussion happens across the five trusts as to how we can manage that, particularly very importantly with our ambulance colleagues and how we can sort of smooth and manage the, the arrival of ambulances across our various sites, across all five trusts. So that's a very much a partnership approach that we have going all the time. Uh, so I was representing uh, Jennifer, uh, my boss, on that this morning, or just before this meeting. Uh, I have to say, as you mentioned earlier, I took on the Deputy Chief Executive role in March 2020. Uh, and I'm so glad of that. It's been really fascinating to just go that next step from being Executive Director of Finance to being involved in all that, the, the, the full range and raft of issues that are facing the, the, the trust on a day-by-day -day basis. And uh, it really is a fascinating time to be involved in that. So that, that's what I was at in the hour before I joined G. So if you could go back in time to when you were, say, 18, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Don't worry about things. Uh, things will always work out. Um, I think the, uh, an 18-year-old self, first of all, I'll say don't, don't drink as much as you did uh, back then. Uh, um, but also develop your own confidence. Uh, don't... Will allow, allow other people to stunt your own development. So, yes, be respectful at all times, but under, understand your own capability and seek to expand and stretch yourself at all times. So, uh, I always found over the, my career, and this was an example, that's even in my five years in the, the Northern Health and Social Care Trust, I was joined as Director of Finance. Within a year, I'd been asked to take on the estates portfolio. I did that. And four year, and then uh, four years later, I took on the deputy chief executive. I think it's important to continue to develop and stretch yourself. You might not necessarily change job title or change role, but look at opportunities to stretch, uh, and that will your career will automatically develop from there. So don't worry too much about a career plan. I keep a lot of people talk about a career plan. I don't think I ever had a career plan. Uh, as I said, I, the, I didn't even have a career a plan to go into the NHS at that at the time. I did. Uh, <laughs> But just make your own judgment calls and take control of your career at various stages. Um, I think there's been we were similarly affected by restructurings as they happen as have happened regularly in England as well. And uh, I think that my advice to anyone in that situation is don't wait for someone else to do something to your career. Take control of it yourself. Uh, so that would be my advice. Take control. Yeah. Mm, excellent. Okay. Thank you. Interesting. Um, this is the sixth 
HMA talking conversation podcast that we've had so far. And um, not one person has had a career plan. And, and, and neither did I, by the way. So uh, there must be something in that. Okay. Um, so outside of your day job, Owen, what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Well, my wife would say it's uh, football. <laughs> <laughs> Watching Derry City here in my local League of Ireland club, I'm a season ticket holder with them, uh, or, uh, or Manchester United, which is very difficult at the moment. I don't want to particularly talk about that today, Mark. Uh, we've just changed our manager, uh, I'm told. So we'll, we'll wait and see how that goes. So I'm a football fanatic, uh, so my wife would say that. Um, but what makes me happy, I would say it's just time with time with the family. As I said earlier, my, my working day is... 7.15 to 7.15 practically. Uh, so the weekends are very important to me. So what makes me happy is spending time with my wife uh, and with, uh, with my family when they're around. Uh, 18 and 24 year olds don't tend to want to be around that much. Uh, but when they are around, I really enjoy having time with them. And also then planning holidays. That's the other thing. I always like to have something to look forward to. Uh, that's been much more difficult with the pandemic, obviously. Uh, at the moment, I have a, we have a, a break planned for February. Fingers crossed it'll all come off and nothing will change between now and then. So that part of it I'm looking forward to. So I like to have something to look forward to. Uh, I like traveling and that makes me happy with my family. Yeah. Outside of what you do for a living on a day-to-day -day basis and everything you, you're going to do for HMA over the next year, if you could do anything for a day, any job in the world, what would you love to do? I think I just named it Manager Manchester United. <laughs> Are you available? <laughs> oh, I am. I am. And it'd be very reasonable as well. I don't think it would cost seven million to pay me off, put it that way. Uh, excellent. <laughs> I'm, I'm like everyone else, one of those experts. Um, if I could actually have a job for a day, I suppose I wouldn't mind having a go at being First Minister of Northern Ireland, to start. <laughs> I don't know whether oh, I, I think you, I would need about 10 like men of people alongside me, though, and that might be the challenge in Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> because I think there's things that we could be doing, to, uh, especially not, I think Northern Ireland, from a health point of view, we're the size of one integrated care system. We should have a mm -hmm. massive opportunity to make a massive difference. And if we can get past some of the challenges uh, uh, that we have from a political point of view, which are understandable. Uh, and drive some change forward in a constructive way. Um, we have so many reports and reviews done on Northern Ireland about transformation, and there's transformation that could be done that will make such a difference to the population of, of Northern Ireland. I would love the opportunity to do that, and I think it might take more than a day, but we'll, we'll give it a go. Well, you just put it out there, Owen, so um, there'll be people listening to this podcast who you know, they may, may be able to make it happen. You never know, but <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So which decade of music is best, Owen, in your opinion? Probably late 70s, early 80s. All right, okay. Anything particular stand yeah. out? Well, I'm probably a bit more into uh, rock music. I'm, I'm a bit more into rock music. So a couple of the people, the bands that I would mention, maybe you wouldn't have heard of or other people mightn't have heard of. There's a band called Horselips, an Irish Celtic rock band. Absolutely magnificent. Google them, Mark. Uh, Freddie Mercury, big, massive, a massive fan of Freddie Mercury. Great, the greatest performer ever, in my opinion. And then Bruce Springsteen and Van Morrison. So what, what, what lesson have you learned the hard way and how would you help others avoid that mistake? I don't know about the hard way. I think the lesson I've learned most, and I've learned, probably learned it a lot in the last year, it's about communication. Um, you can have all the views in the world and you may well be right, 
But if you don't bring staff and teams with you, you don't get very far very quickly in the likes of health and social care. Uh, and we've all had situations, I suspect we've all had situations in the last 18 months where we've had to make decisions on the hoof and make them quickly. And sometimes teams have been left behind in that. And that takes a lot of fixing afterwards. So I suppose the lesson I've learned is you need to communicate often and regularly and and quickly uh, to keep people on board through the challenging times that they've had. Uh, and that's a lesson I think for any time, not just during the pandemic, yeah. but just uh, just became a bit more emphasized by the pace at which we had to operate during that pandemic. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. Um, what's the proudest moment of your career so far? I've had I've, I've so many. I, I would say that the moments of greatest pride is when you see something that you've been involved in has made a difference, a significant difference to a, an individual or to a team or to a population. Uh, so I'm 30 odd years now in the in public sector, be it in finance, in, in finance or in, in education or in health. And I suppose, yes, uh, I, I live in Derry. I drive past my local hospital uh, every morning at quarter past seven on my way to work. Uh, and it's Elton Galvin Hospital in Derry. And I played a part 20 years ago in drafting the business cases that have now developed into the, the, ref, the refurbished Elton Galvin Hospital. So I do take pride in that as I drive past every morning. I played a, a, an early part in that, developing those business cases. As you know, Margaret takes years to get the, the, the various phases of a business case done. But uh, the North Block was recently opened last year and I was involved in the business case for that 17, 18 years ago. So I have pride in that. Uh, but I think, uh, for example, on Saturday, I was at an event uh, with uh, the, our chief medical officer from Northern Ireland attended it along with the lead for the regional vaccination program, uh, Patricia Donnelly. Uh, and I, we'd set up this event in anticipation of the closure of our mass vaccination centre. Uh, but then JCVI came out with the announcement last week to expand that further uh, for the 40 to 49-year-olds uh, and as well second doses for 16 and 17-year-olds. So the CMO has asked the trust, and I'm the lead director for vaccination for the trust, uh, to maintain that uh, for another period. But we decided to go ahead with the event anyway, to thank staff and get have, uh, and encourage them to, to stay with us and, and stay involved in that, back to that communication issue. And I have to say, I took great pride in being involved in that event on, on Friday, or Saturday rather, uh, and uh, the engagement that the teams had, and indeed how uh, supportive and how uh, grateful the likes of our Chief Medical Officer from Northern Ireland was, Professor uh, Sir Michael McBride. So uh, it really was uh, with great pride that I was involved in that. Our vaccination programme, for example, we've delivered in excess of 310,000 vaccines so far of the various types of dose, first, second, third and boosters. Uh, but that involved teams from all across the Trust. We have vaccinators from all across the Trust, be they nurses, AHPs, midwives, etc., but we also have estates teams, we have admin teams, we have ICT uh, involvement uh, and pharmacy, of course. And the likes of that involvement and to be a leader of that group uh, and have the title of lead director. Um, whereas me is constantly just asking people for more, if I'm being honest. Uh, and the, But people have really stepped up in all sorts of and delivered in all sorts of asks in the last 18 months. And vaccination is an example of it. So I've been proud actually to be a, a senior executive in a health service organisation because our staff have been absolutely amazing in the last 18 months. So that's that's what makes me proud. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic answer. Thank you, Owen. 
Listen, um, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Owen. Um, I've really enjoyed hearing about your year ahead, reimagining the future. I'm really excited to, um, to support you um, and be part of the finance community in reimagining our future together. And as part of that, uh, redesigning um, and reimagining the way HMA works to support us in the future as well. So really excited about that. Owen, thank you so much for your time and all the best with the year ahead. Thank you, Mark. I'm really looking forward to it. I think we have a massive opportunity with a, a brilliant organisation and with a massive and brilliant group of members. I think together we can certainly drive forward in the next year and solve a lot of these issues together. So thank you. Thank you. And to everyone listening in, thank you for choosing HFMA Talk. If you're enjoying listening to this In Conversation series, please do spread the word, as well as subscribing to HFMA Talk on your podcast app. And if there's anyone that you'd like me to have a conversation with, then do get in touch via policy at hfma.org.uk. But until next time, Stay safe, keep well, 